0: So. Kyle, are you ready? I don't know. I feel like we should warm up with like some like some uh, improv exercises or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm down. let's go. Let's get it. Yeah
1: right. we got we got ready with the porno house Croatian. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm down. let's go. Let's rock.
2: Hey, welcome to the mostly skateboarding podcast. I'm your host Templeton Elliott and I'm joined this week by Mike Musrider, Patrick Igongo and Jason from Frozen and Carbonite for an extra fat book special with rival podcaster and author of The Most Fun Thing, Kyle Beachy. Kyle, I struggle to write the intro to this
0: podcast every week. How the fuck did you write a whole book? Oh, man. Uh, well, I struggled. I mean, what I did was I struggled. I struggled for a real long time. Um, and I, uh, I struggled with other projects along the way. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I think, I think the thing was, I really wanted to write a book, uh, and the book that I thought I was writing was a novel. And, and it turned out that in fact, the book that I was actually writing was this book that kind of slowly over those 10 years came together in the form of these standalone essays that, uh, eventually kind of added up to a single project. So I don't know, it kind of snuck up on me. I think, you know, I think there are a lot of ways to go about writing a book, and none of them are particularly fun. But the the way this one happened was kind of, you know, it was kind of neat and worth maybe celebrating, uh, in that it came it came about accidentally. It was just sort of it just sort of happened. So, w- what
2: exactly does that mean? Like,
0: I know I recognize a few of those pieces,
2: like there was a Jason Jesse piece in there, and a few others that I'd read, you know, previously to the book coming out. Did you kind of look at the essays and be like? Hey, you know if I I could like fill in some blanks here and have a book or like how did how did that come about?
0: Well, uh, yeah, I mean I think it was it was more a situation of um you know you you I I don't know. You like, I I know that all of you, uh, all of you are writers. I mean, that's the wonderful thing here. It's not that we're just like a bunch of skaters talking about skateboarding. I've read writing by all of you. I've read words by all of you. And so I know for a fact that all of you guys have engaged with um, the sort of maddening process of what it means to write. You know, you, you tell yourself what you need to hear to get through a project, I think. And I think you envision or conceptualize the project in such a way that you know, you, you can sit down and do the work. And I think for each of these articles or essays that became now chapters, I sat down and I told myself what I needed to think. And and at the time, what I was telling myself was, this is an article. This is an article I'm going to send to Jankum, or I'm going to send a free skate mag, or it doesn't maybe have a home and I'm going to try to like shop it around. And it'll be like, it'll be a thing that I find a home for. But in fact, you know, what I was actually doing along the way was, contributing to a process or contributing to a project that, uh, was bigger than I kind of admitted it was, you know, I mean, each time I sat down to write a new one of those things, having finished the one prior, it was always the case that I would kind of jump off from wherever I had left. Right. So like, you know, you say, oh, this is just a thing I'm writing. This is just one thing. But you say that over and over again. And then eventually you look at what you've written and it seems like, oh, there is a sequence here, right? Like the thoughts do progress. One does follow whatever came prior to it. And then, you know, it was a matter of having enough of those, having 15 or 20 of those. Um, that was substantial enough to hand off to my literary agent who, God bless her, had like run into all sorts of uh you know roadblocks trying to sell the novel that I had, and then her being like, "Okay, let's see if we can sell this as a book
1: so like a two part question, I'll just fire off the first one. Is there like a three quarters finished skateboard novel just sitting on a hard drive somewhere?
0: Oh, there's a completely finished and highly um revised and you know what I think of as pretty good skateboarding novels sitting like I mean both on the hard drive of the laptop I'm sitting in front yeah. of right now and a version of it in the in the file cabinet that my knee is banging up against right now also like it exists it's real it's a real book it's a real book though that has I think some serious flaws um, it started as a 700 page draft uh, and it was very strange you know and then it kind of like happens with all long writing projects it got it got a lot more compact I shed a lot of the fat of it and you know, now it's it's a it's still a fairly substantial like 400 page uh, skateboarding novel about about a guy um, named Guy. Is so it about, so he's, <laughs> is it about <laughs> Guy yeah. Mariano? Okay. Is it about Guy Mariano? No, it's not about Guy Mariano. It's about it's about a hybrid. Um, the The main character, the protagonist, name is actually Guy Howard, and you guys can run crazy with that <laughs> one if you want. But
2: like, so it's um, fanfic.
0: <laughs> it's a fanfic. Um, no, you know, it's 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 about the 1990s. I mean, you know, it's drawn very much from the sort of lore of 1990s skateboarding. But it's also, you know, as much about the guys I grew up skateboarding with in that era. You know, I mean, the main character is very, very much a hybrid of kind of a lot of ideas that that sort of swirl around about what a pro skater might be from that era. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's lore that filters in there that I think skaters would recognize but it is very much fiction it's still very much a created thing
1: i guess this is like part two but it's kind of two questions again real quick how do you shift from that endeavor a 700 page draft to essentially shelf it and how much does the most thing owe to that book you know what are the connections there i guess
0: Uh, shell, I mean, shelving a book is miserable, you know, like I can't, I, I think I get it. You know, I, I know, I say, I think that's, that's a, that's a put on, like, I know factually that I get into it quite a bit in, um, the most fun thing in the nonfiction book. I, you know, I'm pretty upfront about the nature of challenge. I don't know that I fully convey like the kind of darkness that running into a stalled novel really kind of led me into like, there were dark times. There were very dark times. Like, it's a strange thing. Like writing a novel is a strange thing always because it's, it's an incredibly private process. It's also an incredibly long process and there's no guarantee whatsoever at the end of it, what you're gonna have is a thing that anyone wants, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. not like you're making you know, you're not like building a a building that, you know, you're not, you're not designing and and constructing a building someone has commissioned. You're not writing a screenplay that someone has asked for. Like you're writing a thing that the world um, has shown no interest whatsoever in desiring. And, you you know, it's a giant leap of faith. It's, it's more than a leap of faith. It's like a fucking marathon of faith (laughs) to sit down and write a novel. And so, you know, when you get to the end of that and you, run up against the kind of rejection that publishing is it's dark man it's it's a hard thing to look back on X number of years of work for me, it was like, it was like five years of work. Then it was like seven years of work to look back on that and be like, did I waste, did I waste seven years of my life working on this thing? Like that's, that's a, that's an existential kind of crisis to I- experience. So the fact that along the way, as I was writing that novel, I, I had this kind of outlet, which were these essays or which were these articles um, that eventually became the essays that became the book was, you know, either like this brilliant sort of like, you know, like th- this instinct I had that was subconscious, like some part of me was like, yo, this novel might not work out. Maybe we should do something. Or it was just like the most fortunate thing in the world that I, I had this kind of life raft that I had kind of piecemeal been putting together along the way. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, the the answer to the second part of your question is that the most fun thing would not exist if it were not for the process of trying to write this novel at all, mm-hmm. like zero mm-hmm. Did
3: you consider self-publishing at all?
0: I considered self-publishing the novel at times, not not in a way that I've really like confronted yet. You know, I, having already had a novel put out by a big publishing house um, in 2009, when I was, you know, in my late twenties, I, I got into my head a really clear idea of what publishing success looks like, you know, right, and you right. kind of, you kind of like, you, you you sort of suck on that teat a little bit and you get real like well this is it this is what publishing is it's it's random house or it's penguin or it's little brown it's like these big giant new york publishers and you get a sense of that's what that's what making a book means And so it's, it it has been, it would be a hard adjustment for me to kind of shift gears and start thinking in terms of putting it out myself. Uh, Also, you know, I mean, the reality about putting a book out yourself is that you are then on the hook for selling it. And that's, you know, whatever it is, however you're good at selling, however much you like doing it, what you're not doing when you're selling, at least what I'm not doing when I'm selling, because I've been promoting this book, like you're not writing, you know? And I just, I don't know that I'm fully up for taking that upon me. Like, I love the Wu Tang model of like driving around with a, with a single in your, in the trunk of your car and like opening it up and like slanging your vinyl to, to wherever you are. But I don't know that I have that in me really, you know, like, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to do that. Um, Though that said, like, I really admire what Walker Ryan has done with his book. I really admire what, some poets I know have done with self publishing. So maybe, like, maybe there's a, a, a time down the road where I come to a place with this novel manuscript that's, you know, kind of again, sitting here and I want to self publish it. That, that could happen. I wouldn't, I wouldn't count that out. Yeah, so-
3: along kind of along the same lines, in your recent Thrasher interview, you, and I'm paraphrasing here, you <clears throat> mentioned that writing a narrative about skateboarding was impossible, or if not impossible, They were incompatible, like skateboarding and um, like narrative fiction writing. Could you elaborate on that a little bit?
0: Yeah, I can. I mean, I think think what we've seen a lot of when we've seen skateboarding stories is skateboarding sort of slapped on to some other format of narrative. You know, I mean, the the thing is, is that we don't have that many stories, you know, like all, all the stories that we that we consume, all of the films that come out are really just variations on. You know, there's, e- there are either seven plots or there are two plots, depending on which sort of, uh, you know, theory y- you believe in. And the fact yeah. is, is that like, what I wanted to do was set out to create a structure of narrative that, rather than being skateboarding slapped onto one of those kind of extant and familiar plots, instead did some justice to skateboarding by creating a format, a narrative format that was more attuned to or more mimetic of, um, skateboarding itself. Like that's what I set out to do. Right. Um, and that was either an absolutely foolish thing or I'm just not up for it. Like, I mean, there's a very good chance that I just don't have the chops as a novelist to figure out how to do that. So I don't know. I mean, I, I should be careful in saying like it can't be done or it hasn't been done or it's, it doesn't exist. I mean, you know, again, like I, I think to his credit, what Walker Ryan did with Top of Mason was like create a narrative structure that, you know, makes skateboarding it makes skateboarding kind of its point without, without having to kind of wave the flag of skateboarding over and over again. You know, I have my problems with that book and I have my admirations for that book, but I think he set out and did a thing that was, you know, pretty, pretty skate. Like it's pretty authentically skate down to its core. So I don't know. I mean, I I probably bit off more than I could chew, which is not surprising for me. That's something I tend to do. So Kyle, you've
4: done a little bit of time on the road promoting the book, and I'm sure you've taken several skate trips, maybe even some skate tours. What's better, book tour tour. or skate tour? (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah, that's tough, man. Uh, Because I mean, it's tough not because I don't know which one to choose. It's tough because I don't actually feel like I've done a book tour, you know, like, A lot of my promotion for this book has been sitting in my living room and being on Zoom, you know, like setting myself up in front of the fireplace and getting the lighting exactly right. And like, you know, getting the dog to drop the the squeaky toy and having just the exact right amount of wine in me so that I can sit down and do a Zoom event or something um and that's not really a book tour you know that's that's whatever it is that's some sort of performance but it's not a book tour um so i don't know i don't know that's that's hard to say i i have been on the road for a couple of events i went to new york for an extremely good event at mcnally jackson um with noah johnson who of course was a guest with y'all i think just prior to that um Wheel- Willie staley was there the documentarian jessica edwards was on the panel uh and then alexis sablon uh, was talking and steve rodriguez kind of new york legend steve rodriguez moderated the panel and that was exceptional but you know the thing is is that any sort of book tour event turns into a skate event and like that was more a skating trip ultimately when i walked away from it than it was a book event so I don't know, it's hard. It's all that stuff kind of blurs together. I do miss getting together with a bunch of, you know, dirt bags and piling into a car and driving around and going skating like that. I don't know that there are things that can beat that probably.
4: So then that leads me to my next question. you had brought up uh, Walker Ryan's book, which actually just finished right before diving into the most fun thing. So You know, it seems like we are in um, a publishing or a a literary renaissance for skating. Like, Jose Vadi just published his book Interstate. Um, Adam Abada did a review of a whole bunch of skater-authored texts for quarter snacks. Yeah. And yet, skating is historically very, very, you know, anti-intellectual. Is something changing? Is, Is there something about skating that is becoming more accepting of people writing about skating? I mean, there's a a million books about any other sport. And yet it's really, as you've mentioned, it's difficult to write about skateboarding without it coming off as corny. Is there there
0: a shift in the culture right now or are we just in a bubble? I think that's a really good question. I think... um... I think one of the things you have to confront when you ask that question is the topic at hand. And I I happen to believe, as my book makes very clear, that skateboarding is unique and, and strange in some key ways. Right. And like it's one thing to write about football. It's one thing to write about American football. It's another thing to write about soccer. It's another thing to write about baseball. But probably all three of those things share a whole lot in common in terms of how you write about them, right? You're writing about the people who play them, the rules, the history of the game, how those rules have evolved, you know, the industries that have formed around it. But really, you're talking about the lore of the... With skateboarding, I think it's a lot harder And it's harder because like skateboarding doesn't slot neatly into a lot of the sort of formats we have to conceptualize it and come at it. You know, like the reason why skateboarding is uh, being written about now, I think is that it's been sitting in front of us long enough that people uh, have been looking at it long enough to maybe finally start to get an idea of what exactly is going on. here. Maybe, you know, I mean, It it should be said that people have been writing about it for as long as it's been around. Like Craig Stesick, for as much as I disagree with or think, you know, have thoughts about the way that his writing has sort of been codified and turned into this mythology about skateboarding. The fact is, is that he he sat down in the early days of skateboarding and essentially through language, like defined its ethos. And, and, and again, like that ethos might have gone on to, you know, age in ways that, that have been harmful to skateboarding and might have contributed to excluding some people in skateboarding or what have you. But the fact is, is that when he sat down to write about it, there was nothing there, you know, like he, he created the founding mythology of skateboarding. And so, you know in as much as we're writing about it now part of that is we've been sitting around and staring at it long enough that we have different thoughts about it and maybe the sort of blast radius of Craig Stesic we've kind of escaped it you know like at a certain point that lore or whatever has 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 kind of aged to the point that we feel a little better talking about skateboarding in new ways. So I don't know. I mean, this is tough. It's, it's a tough question. I don't know exactly what it is. It could just be as simple as the people who are writing about it now are people who came up in that era when, you know, like it wasn't always the case that all sorts of different people rode skateboards. You know, there was a time when the only people who rode skateboards were people who needed skateboarding, where skateboarding was like the only outlet that people had. And the kind of people who only had skateboarding as their only outlet aren't really the kind of people who have the luxury to sit around and indulge the process that it is required to write books. Right. I mean, there's a class element to this too. So I think it's a lot of factors. I do think that it's, it's exceptional to be alive at a time when m- multiple people are writing books about skateboarding. We have this kind of buffet of different looks at it because I know that I personally, when I found Ian Borden's book, when I found skateboarding space in the city, it was for me just an absolute like revelation. I just like, completely opened up the possibilities for me seeing that someone out there had taken skateboarding very seriously and made it the subject of extremely rigorous academic pursuit like that to me blew my fucking mind so you know my hope would be that that this kind of trickles down and and starts a sort of domino effect where more and more young people feel this way and and feel empowered to think however they want about the thing they're doing
4: so then as a follow-up um, you touched on a really important point about there's a class element in here and as skate culture and we'll keep this separate from the skateboard industry as sure. skate culture diversifies as it globalizes as it gets bigger it's challenging a lot of the historical notions around skating and you see some friction around you know the discourse about what's happening in skating as well as what's happening in you know, we're in the all in the U.S. here. What's happening in mainstream American culture? So, how do we, the royal we? How do we keep that conversation interesting and keep people in without it veering too academic? And you know, again, we are we are in a to use some faculty language. We are all definitively in a bubble on this podcast. It is a hyper literate, uh, very well educated super white collar space and one of the cool things about skating is that it is at least in my life one of the few places in which you get to mix with and hang out with and be friends with uh, people from lots of different class backgrounds Um, i can't say the same about music anymore for the day job being a civil servant yeah but it's like skateboarding and work where you get to meet lots of people from lots of different educational and class backgrounds um, so, back to that question of skateboarding being anti intellectual but now becoming a little bit more mature and open to these conversations, how do you keep having these hard conversations about culture and language and and inclusion without making people feel as though God damn it, this sounds like a you know a government two hundred or or sociology three hundred uh, level course yeah. and i 'm not interested
0: yeah, yeah, I think that 's important I think that 's a good question I think uh, I think it's a good question. And I think the best I can do is answer it in the sort of like idealized realm, which is to say that like, one thing that's important is for me to stress that my own sort of hangups about self-publishing are stupid. You know, like that's dumb. It's, it's, It's bad that I have this Sense that publishing means a certain thing, and that there's a certain bar that I need to reach in order for my writing to be publish-worthy, et cetera. Like, I think probably the best answer to your question is like an open exchange of self-made. Um, literary objects which you know essentially are zines or or our blogs or our you know shitty little websites um, or Substacks, or whatever the thing is like all of that stuff seems to me to be the answer to this question you know if our goal is to have more conversations then you know the obvious solution is to be out there skating and sit down and be surrounded by people you can talk to about this, but we don't always have that. And so absent that, absent having people who are as curious as you are, or as um, engaged with the kind of questions that you're asking Patrick, like, I think the next best answer is we need people who are engaged with them to put those thoughts into the world. Like that's it. And that doesn't, you know, I mean, the great thing about the totally stupid fucking internet that we've built and the, the miserable online world that we've created and we continue to clock into every day. Like the good thing about that, the potentially redeeming quality of that is that anyone can make anything. So, you know, I don't know, I guess maybe I kind of like hang some of my, my answers hat on the hook of, well, people got to do it. Like people have to do it. And I don't know that I can do that. Like, I don't know that any of us can do that aside from encouraging, uh, people from other worlds, people from, you know, other geographical places, other, uh, age realms, other, um, levels of education, other levels of communication, like all, all of that, like what, what we should be doing is promoting people who are making writing and people who are having the conversation. I don't know. I don't know. Do you feel like that answers the question? I think it answers the question. I think what's what's weird is that um, you know I think about slap. You think about
4: especially Instagram. Uh, I won't digress and go into a lot of the controversy uh, that's been happening on those particular uh, those particular mediums. But you know, it it feels almost as though it feels almost as though like we have a duty. In skating because it's so small and because you can actually have some influence on the culture if you're making a podcast if you are writing if you are taking photos making video it's almost like um, you have to use you have to use the powers for good and skating is it feels healthier and friendlier and more inviting than it did ten years ago yeah. definitely uh, more inviting than it was in the 1990s at the same time though, like I I, it's, I feel like it's it's important for us to acknowledge that there is friction, that there's um there are folks who are probably frustrated and just like I was like, Why are you guys talking about a book about that's kind of but not really but is about skateboarding? Why aren't you talking about you know this latest joint that just dropped on quarter snacks? Um Right. Right. <laughs> Yo, right.
1: Yeah, so I'm over here. I just I just Googled Craig Seych. I said it wrong. I knew I would. He was born in nineteen fifty. You Google um what's his name? Jake Phelps, 62. Those are two baby boomers. And yeah. it's like those were the, you know, they're they're the defining voices of what skateboarding is and has been. And um, so I do think it's it's obviously like big time to get new voices, get new narratives, all that. At the same time, I then like as as we went on, and it's like, you know, these these new voices getting them in. There's it's maybe self-defeating on this podcast with a bunch of old millennials and Gen Xers. It's like, People do need to, I don't know, set the table and then step aside. Like for so long in skating, it was, okay, you're 22, you're done. But now all those dudes that like were able to skate past 22, just at the start of that, now they're all sticking around. It seems like there's a lot of room for people to step aside.
0: Yeah, I hear that. I agree with that. I, I have a hard time thinking that the mostly skateboarding podcast staff and or the vent city colleagues, uh, or I, as a a writer of articles on Jankum, a few, like, I don't know that I'm clogging the way exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's where it gets a little, that's where it gets like questionable. It's like, well, at what point are you, is it time to step aside? And if you do, are you taking away the conversation that, you could, every conversation you could be facilitating. Um, You know, I mean, ideally I think the, the answer is like, what you do is support as much as you can expose exposing other voices, exposing voices younger than you and, and, you know, more varied than your own. Uh, but, but that itself becomes really hard. You, you know, like I, I don't know that we have anything in skateboarding right now that isn't like I, you know, person X hosts a show on vans and brings on their homies, you know, like so much of skateboarding is about homie culture. And so much of what we want to do is like put on the people we admire that at a certain point you, you, you get into doing that sort of admiration of your crew thing. And you realize like, oh shit, I might be one of those people that you just described, Mike, who's like, oh, maybe I should step aside. So you know, it's tough, man. I, I think it's a really a hard thing to do. What what I, again, what I what I do believe that all of us can do is probably be a lot more active in um, being open to and searching out and finding kind of younger voices and self-published works and zines and so on and being kind of champions of that culture. But again, like that requires work right? Like this all requires work. You guys all have jobs. <laughs> you guys all want to skate. Some of, some of us want to do writing and stuff too. So, you know, like a lot of things in skateboarding, it, it comes down to a kind of like economic choice of like, how do you spend your time? And I don't know, I don't, I don't mean to be making excuses here, but I, I do think that like, you're asking really, really important questions that I don't, I don't know that I have the answers.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I you know, I kind of went down just that mental pathway, you know, the, if then what, um mm-hmm. i i you know i used to have an active blog here and i i kept thinking you know i i, I i've done enough i want someone else to come right. fill this space and now there's just not really anybody doing anything right you know right. in terms of local scene coverage i do think instagram i i think that in a way like so much of what people's where people's creative energies are focused it's it, you know it's still the same way it's always been it's on video and Right. Now it's just taking on a different I I'm babbling. We can
0: well no no no, but I think I think you, you tap into something important there, which is like like one of the question one of the things that came up Patrick with what you said was like about anti-intellectual and I don't know that I agree that skateboarding is anti-intellectual I think what skateboarding is generally speaking is uncomfortable with language like I think skateboardings and skaters relationship to language is tenuous and like a little iffy like I don't know that we we, I don't know that skateboarding as a culture is really good at promoting the kind of expression that language requires, right? Which, which means like, like saying something and meaning it, you know? Like a lot of skateboarding is kind of rooted in irony and kind of like joking culture. And so to, to say something and actually believe in it and, and put the, string the words together to convey that belief and stand by it, like that, that itself is a leap of faith. So I don't I don't know like a, a lot of this comes down to maybe this question of like what are our mediums like what is the media that that we're pursuing and if if it remains always that skateboarding will always appreciate video and always appreciate photos more than anything that could be done with language, then we might not see it like it might not ever become a kind of major part of skateboard media. You know, I mean, I know that when I sit down and I encounter a a skate pros Post on instagram where they string together a coherent thought and they are they are presenting some sort of belief like i am fucking hyped like i i you know if it's a belief that i don't find repulsive which you know sometimes has been the case recently but like it's it's refreshing it's important like we we don't really promote that you know we're we're a visual culture and it's it's hard for language to find i think a space in skateboarding so y'all are
4: getting to uh something that uh I was laughing about this early in the week. I was just like, thinking back to that Jenkum, uh, Werner Herzog um, (laughs) piece from, was it last year or this year? Time is a flat circle. That was January of this year. I know. It feels like forever ago, but there's something really beautiful when somebody who does have that vocabulary is able to look at skateboarding and they can say something that is far more profound than pages and pages and pages and pages of a single skate magazine or a zine that you have somebody like Herzog to look at skateboarding and just say why he thinks it's beautiful to be able to articulate it that's something really powerful and it almost feels like what can we do what can skating do to get some more voices like that to get more people who can look at skating and they can in a handful of sentences a paragraph something (laughs) like that they can make you feel like like wow that's deep
0: I mean, yeah, I think that's a good question. I think, you know, a lot of what language has been in my experience of skateboarding magazines has been like this language is the sort of, um, you know, it's like, it's like the surface upon which the photo is printed, right? Like what the words are is this, it sort of takes up the space on the page so that you can separate photos from each other. Um, And so the content of that language hasn't been very important, which, you know, as someone who cares a whole lot about language, is, is, is frustrating. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's funny because I have that interview. I happen to have it open on a tab right now because I was just thinking about it. Like you know, Werner Herzog is he's a genius, but he's also knows nothing about skateboarding. And part of the joy of this interview is he says, like straight up here, I am puzzled because I am not familiar with the scene of skateboarding. <laughs> At the same time, I had the feeling, yes, that's my people. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, this is a gem of an interview and kudos to Ian Mickna for for going out and getting it. But I, I think what we have here is a kind of rare rare occurrence with someone outside of skateboarding being such a kind of treasure that whatever they say about skateboarding is just going to be genius. I feel like in in my
1: my experience interviewing skateboarders did a bunch for the skateboard mag and then later kind of took a different tack doing some like freelance stuff for Red Bull so much of what the magazines present is often not about skating itself, but it's about like the periphery, all that happens around it, the road trips, the weird shit, this and that. And I definitely asked, you know, structured interviews around that. Like, oh yeah, I heard this crazy story about you, but it has nothing directly to do with skating. And I um, I shifted when I was doing these Red Bull interviews. It'd be like 600 words with a random person. Half the time I didn't know them but I'd watch video parts and talk to them about skating. I think that skaters are way better talking about skating, but then that's like the seed. That's the jumping off point where you can get into more about what they feel about skating, but you got to talk about skating. Can't talk about partying, I guess.
0: Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's hard to look straight at, like, it's hard to look at the sun, you know, like you're, you're not supposed to. (laughs) <laughs> um, and it's, and it's a lot easier, it's a lot easier and a lot more kind of natural to talk about the stuff that goes on around the sun that sort of orbits the sun. So, yeah, I, I mean, let me ask you this, like, how did you, how did you get them talking about it? Like, what was, what was the tack for getting them to talk explicitly about skating?
1: I'm trying to remember who it was. It was maybe a blood wizard kid or someone who did a loop. And then as he was coming down the loop, he front side reverted out. Right. And I just, I, I don't know. I just ask, like started asking, like, okay, so how do you even do that? Are you like turning as you ride up the loop? Like, totally just delved into just mechanics, you know? And I think, you know, that earned a lot of trust in whatever the 15 minutes we were on the phone, 15, 20 minutes. It was a small right. word package. But like that jumping off point, I don't know if it was, you know, showing that I was legit or just maybe surprising. Who was that yeah. kid? Kevin something Kowalski. i i think i think you know people like to talk about themselves but skaters especially in that like q a phone interview situation skating makes sense to all of us but again yeah you're right like it's looking at the sun it's almost i don't know it's almost neglected but yeah loop frontside revert right how the hell do you do that and
0: from there it, it got you know we got more well, I mean, part of this, we we have to say is the fact that we're in a, like, a, we're in such a content heavy uh, period in history, right? There's never been more content than like ever, ever. Like we've never had more, it's just stuff. We've never had more to look at. We've never had more to like, to pair talking alongside more video or more photos or more whatever, right? Like, again, the spigot is just wide open. And so part of this is just like, again, I think it's just that economic question of time. Like, you know, the reason the nine club is what the nine club is, is that they don't, it doesn't seem like they have enough time or, and or interest in putting in, you know, serious research to understand what is required or or like what a skater has done and like ask serious questions about that. Right. Like how, how do you go about talking to someone who's done the thing that, 50 other people who have come on your show have gone and done too. like, how do you do that? How do you differentiate one skaters experience from the other? And so part of this is just the nature of the game of skateboarding, which is like, we have all of these skaters, we have all of this product to sell and the the way that we're going to do it is to kind of like swirl it all up and like have kind of very thin, shallow conversations enough to maybe distinguish one skater from the next and maybe get some kid to buy this, this board instead of this other one. So I don't know. I mean, it gets kind of cynical if you go down that path too far, but uh, you know, I don't know how much actual motivation there is to have the kind of conversations we're having, or like we're talking about having, I don't, I don't know who's interested in that. It's certainly not the, the skateboard brands. It's not the skateboard companies And, and so it like comes down to you guys, like you guys put on this podcast, we put on our podcast. Nobody pays us for that podcast. We do it because we want to like sit down and talk to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Like, you know, those guys from the bunt, like they get paid something or other and they're doing, they're making content that is, that is distinct. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Mm, I don't know. Van, send those boxes, baby. <laughs> yeah, man. it's it. That's it.
4: So let's get some product. <laughs> the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast, brought to you by Pepsi. Right. So, Kyle, um, one thing that uh, I wanted to touch upon um, about the book is that uh, you write about uh, a whole lot of very personal stuff. You write about your relationship. You write about parents aging, getting sick. this all comes within the context of all these stories about your life and skating. And uh, we are now in a space where you have a significant number of older skaters. You've got pro skaters who are still skating at a very, very high level, certainly higher than any of us could have imagined in the 1990s when we grew up watching these mostly guys and having their pictures all over our walls. What do you think, how has skateboarding's role changed as you've become more and more of like a proper adult with real life situations, crises, problems, and things like that. Does it still serve as, you know, as a tool of deliverance or is it something or it's like, is skating a burden? Is it skating like yet another thing that you're interested in and you have many interests? Um, like how has it changed as your life has become more complex and more adult?
0: I mean, I think I think the most obvious way it's changed is it's become the recipient of my admiration and gratitude you know like i think it's very easy for most of your life to take for granted that skateboarding is is part of your life it is what it is it's a thing you do it's a thing that maybe sets you apart from other people who don't do it you know it's a way to like sort of decide how you're going to dress or who you hang out with and in that sense you know it's like any other force. Uh, like sport or chess club or whatever. Like when you're young, you know, you, you sort of, whether deliberately or not, you, you sort of hang, you, you sign on to whatever these sort of groups are, these pathways are. As you get older, skateboarding becomes more and more a kind of thing that you have to make a point to do. You know, it's not just something that happens naturally. And so if you do that if you if you make the choice to continue doing it if you don't allow the inertia of adulthood to kind of take over and push skateboarding out of the frame if you do the work to to continue to pull skateboarding into the frame and keep it with you while there are all these other things going on then you start to have a different relationship with it right i mean the relationships that require work are always going to be different than the relationships that are effortless like i don't i don't know that anyone could possibly disagree with that so you know when you when you have to work for a thing and then you find yourself 10 years later, like, wow, I just I've, I've worked for this thing for 10 years. And then you sit back and you look at it and you look at where you are now. and Then you come to really appreciate it, right? Like there, there's no way to spend 20 years with anything, be it a person or like a, you know, a rock that you found when you were a kid at the beach, if you hold on to that rock for 20 years, that rock is going to become something for you. Now imagine if that rock was a thing that you were like constantly wanting to spend time with, and, and leave the house and go out and, and be with your rock in the street or whatever, like, that becomes just like profoundly important. So yeah I mean it does change it has to change you you can't spend so much time thinking of a thing and and dreaming of a thing and consuming that thing's culture and identifying yourself with that culture and that thing uh, without eventually coming to have that relationship be somehow important or somehow vital or somehow, you know, necessary to who you are as an individual. And then, you know, you sit around and you look at all the ways that that thing is different from all the other shit in your life. And you think like, God damn, this is, this is really beautiful. This is really, this is affirming. This is, this is an outlet for me. Uh, So I don't know. I mean, the main thing is that it becomes a source eventually of great Great gratitude. And I guess the thing I would say, like, if we could circle this back to the question about people making writing and, and people, younger people doing things, like one of the challenges with that is like most people quit skateboarding. Like that's that's a fact. Like the vast majority of people who skate quit. And it's just like, you know, like relationships, like every relationship every romantic relationship fails until the one that doesn't and even that one can sometimes fail so it's like you know most things end and most things change and go away and so if you if you if you do spend time with it and if you do persevere and you do struggle to keep that thing in your life then you look down at some point you're like holy shit how did this happen and what you feel then is is you know, the only word for it is love. And I think, you know, to love a thing, to love a fucking skateboard can seem like the silliest thing in the world, unless it's something you've done for 30 some years. And it's, it's, it's become, it's become vital.
1: I want to, I want to bet that we know each of us know a handful of dudes. It's probably dudes in this context who, when we were growing up, like skating was so easy for them Yeah, and they've all quit.
0: Yeah. I mean, everyone quits. That's the thing. Like, that's the like sort of dark secret. I want to like sit down and tell this squad of kids who are like super cool and are like doing their rad thing. Like you look at them, you don't want to tell them. I actually don't want to tell them what I want to do is sit there and like look at them and like maybe try to guess like which of these kids are going to keep doing it. And, you know, I like I, I think I got Jankum into some trouble when I said this in that in that um. I guess it was in the 917 video When I was talking about Aiden Mackey I was like I don't know I don't know if Aiden Mackey is going to be skating When he's 40 years old I have no idea But it's like that's the thing about young kids Who are skaters It's like cool this kid's ripping I wonder if he's going to keep doing it And it's not as if that's some litmus And that the only ones who matter Are the ones who keep doing it But it is a thing I think about Like wow which of these kids Which of these like upstart phenom kids Like Nick Michael Is Nick Michael going to be skating when he's 40? Like, is Evan Wasser going to be skating when he's 40? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And should that affect the way that I watch them? Because it does, definitely. For every Chris Brana or Billy Waldman, there's gonna be a guy
4: Mariano, you know? Some, <laughs> some folks we just remember their name. We have no idea what they've been doing for the last 30 years. That's um <laughs> But
0: but is that is that like I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, is that a ludicrous standard to hold young skaters to? Like, is that it's is a, is that it's the same for everything. It's the same for, it's the same for music. Like Most people's bands are going to break up.
4: They're going to stop playing. For, for professional yeah. sports, uh, there's yeah. a window in which you are going to be great and earn all the money and hopefully get some hardware. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at some point, your body breaks down. Or in, in extreme cases, your mind breaks down due to CTE. So, you know, George Harrison said it best. All things must pass. I guess with skating, it's because skating is all-consuming culture-wise. Um, and that's the thing that we're all familiar with. There's something kind of tragic and weird and knowing that, you know, there's kids who are at your local spot, curb spot, at a park, wherever you've decided to go skate for the day. Um, there's somebody there who in 20 years time, 30 years time, skateboarding is going to be an afterthought to them. They, they won't yeah. have a board. They're just going to have a job and they're going to be doing their thing.
0: I guess, I mean, I, I I agree with you. And I guess the thing is, is like I have no, I have no sort of, illusion in my head that young people are going to want to read the most fun thing. Like I I hope they do. But, you know, if there were an argument for why I would hope maybe some people who are younger or are kind of earlier in their relationship pick it up and give it a chance, like the, the argument would be like, hey, let let me show you the richness of the relationship that you have the potential to be part of. You know, like if you continue down this path, like, however, right. It doesn't have to be the, the most important thing in your life. It doesn't have to be the center of your life forever. It doesn't have to be the only thing you care about. Like there are all sorts of ways to engage with skateboarding into, um, something like adulthood, uh, I guess the answer would be that I would hope to model for some of those because I would hope to show that like, yo, there is a value to this. Like because I do think there is, you know, I mean, that's where I get kind of new agey and a little evangelical. Like I think there is a value to continuing to skate for as long as you can. I think the richnesses that you discover, I think that like the levels that you unlock are worth it. Like I, I just I just flat out think that's the case. And so I hope, I hope, I hope they do. I hope they do continue to skate. And, you know, I hope if I can do anything to, to convince them that I can, sorry, I derailed the conversation. No, (laughs) this is the rail. (laughs) You're on it. (laughs)
2: Kyle, I'm, I'm like a terrible reader. Like I know how to read, but I just don't like put the time in. Like how, how do you, like, do you have a reading practice? Like, yeah, I, I just like don't read like I have books that I want to read. I, I'm like most of the way through Walker Ryan's book. I've read a bunch of your book. But like, it's hard to read. Yeah. Like, how do yeah. you do it? Like, give me some advice. Help me be a better reader.
0: Sure. I mean, I think it starts with like admitting and, and acknowledging what you just said. Like reading is hard and reading has, again, to like speak to our cultural moment, reading a book has never been harder than it is right now. Like, I guess maybe we could argue that before electricity, before, you know, when we, when we were reading off of like scrolls and it was like they were a rarefied thing to get your hands on, reading was hard. Um, but, a lot of people didn't know how. But right sure but since let's say 1900 now we are at a stage where reading is harder than it's ever been because we it's it's just it's not the sort of attention it's not the sort of It's not the sort of um, physical practice of sitting down and like holding uh, uh, the thing in front of your face and, and staying still for that long. Like we don't do that except with phones. So, yeah, I mean, I guess step one would be to acknowledge like it's hard. It's very hard. I guess step two would be to say that the way that we think of reading, I think, has a lot to do with our experience of reading. I think that I run into with my students of various levels, like I run into a lot of people who think that reading is some sort of like test or like some sort of code that you're supposed to crack. And that if you're doing it wrong, then you, you shouldn't be doing it at all. When in fact, like reading is an act of creation, right? Like each individual's engagement with a text is a potential for some sort of connection and a potential for like one's own kind of creative, experience of that text. Like I believe that reading is a creative act every much as writing is. So I don't know. I mean, I think that should hopefully take a lot of the pressure off. You know, I mean, the worst thing that you can do for reading is, is be pressurized. Like, oh, I got to get this read before I talk to Kyle tonight. Like that's miserable. That's not how you want to read a book. Um, (laughs) I did
2: like give up on that just to like give myself some grace. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: that's not it. And I don't want anyone reading my book under (laughs) any sort of like time constraint. So like, you know, I I think a lot of it is like taking pressure off yourself and allowing yourself the kind of leeway to put it down and come back to it and so on. But you know, for me like actually physical practice, like I get a a chair that's not too comfortable because if the chair is too comfortable I'm going to fall asleep. I sit as upright as possible. I, um, I always read with a pen in my hand so that I can either like mark up the book in the margins or underline something. I make it an active process of engagement. And, you know, I mean, what I also allow it to do is like spark whatever thoughts I might have, you know, I mean, the best thing in the world about reading is setting the book down and writing a few sentences that the book has in some way or other kind of catalyzed. So you know, again, I think it's just like making it as active of an engagement as possible, it seems to me.
2: So that's great advice and like exciting to me. Like like I, I feel like you helped me.
0: Oh fuck, that's, that's, that's great. Like cheesy as that sounds. <laughs> that's great. No, it's not cheesy. Don't let it be cheesy. That's great. Reading no. is great.
4: So follow-up question, uh, and this is uh specifically for Kyle and for Jason, because you're both teachers, you're both professors in an era in which there's so much else happening for students. Uh Kyle specifically. You know, you've been a professor in the era of Rate My Professor. I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure if, the, if you've ever come up on it, but like, how do I've, you... I've found his page. <laughs> how, do you, how, do you keep, how do you keep students' interest? I mean, you, you've mentioned that there are some, you know, there, you have students who think that reading is some sort of a test or they wonder like, why am yeah. I doing this? When yeah. it is one of not only the most joyful things that you can do, uh, and we're particularly lucky to know how to read and write in a Latin script. Uh, which is a lot simpler than other scripts out there, um, sure. but it's also like a very liberating thing. Like, how do you keep students' attention? How do you make sure that the assignments is actually getting through? Like, how do you, how do you, how both of you make it come alive? Because I imagine that's, you know, it was bad enough in the '90s when you went to school to while out. <laughs> right. Not that I was doing that, but you know, like kids can be tough. I taught for a year and it was exhausting. Jason,
0: do you want to do you want to go first?
4: Yeah, I mean. From my, You have
3: to, like, sell it, you know? You have to, like, believe in it. Because if you don't believe that what you're doing is cool, then they're sure as fuck aren't going to, you know? So always Um, be
4: closing, except with the the assignment.
3: Yeah, like, I don't know. I try not to do anything for more than, like, 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Because 20 minutes, uh, well, we've been sitting here for a long ass time. But anyway, (laughs) like, 20, 25 minutes is about the limit for, you know, students' attention for doing anything before you got to move on to something else. Um, luckily, at my job, you can use, like, the books they're reading. So that's good, you know. Because, like, I don't know, we're talking about reading, like, the students I work with in, like, middle school, like, they read a shit ton. Like, for whatever reason, in that time period, between like, like sixth or seventh grade, like, they'll read a book, like, every three days or something.
4: Yeah. Damn, The kids are all right. <laughs> so yeah, like, oh, yeah. I
3: mean <laughs> so yeah, I mean you can work with their interests and stuff. You just gotta like sell it, you know what I mean? Try to make it a little bit interesting. But yeah, it's it's tough, man. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I think I think if you you know, I mean, ideally what a teacher has is the sort of freedom and um empowerment to assign texts that they believe in. You know, I mean, I don't know, Jason, what you're what what your experience has been, but I know that when I'm teaching work that I love, it's the easiest thing in the world, you know, like, like here, here's a book I've read 20 times. Let's sit down and talk about it. That's, that's it. Uh, beyond that, like, you know, I mean, I think a lot of what I'm doing is trying to depressurize what Kind of, you know, a lot of my students, most of my students, the vast majority, in fact, of my students, the undergrads, um, are products of public school like I am. And so a lot of what I'm doing is cr- just trying to kind of depressurize what kind of public school ex- education has indoctrinated them to think reading is, which more or less is read the text so that you can formulate a cohesive and coherent argument about what the text means. Um And, you know, like I say a lot in the book about what skateboarding means is that we might be better off if we acknowledge and kind of revel in the fact that meaninglessness is the, is the vast majority of our experience here on life. So like, let's not try to just make an argument and analyze what the text means. Like, let's talk about how the text was made. Like, let's talk about how the text makes us feel. Let's talk about what reading, what reading a really good story does to our body. Like what is our somatic experience of caring about a character? Like that to me is far more interesting than composing a five paragraph essay about what the book means and you know i have again i'm speaking all of this from the luxury of i teach creative writing like i don't teach i don't teach english uh, analysis you know literary analysis i teach creative writing and and that's that's a really kind of wonderful sort of playground to to talk to kids about writing and reading So, so let me tell you about having a reaction
1: that chapter on nostalgia did that appear anywhere else
0: No, 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 no. That was one. So all of the chapters that are on something, Ah. those are, those are ones that I wrote after the kind of book was sold and my editor was like, okay, what you sold us is going to be half of the book. Now you need to go and write the other half
4: word.
1: Yeah. I was sitting at my kitchen table, like with my child zoning out on her tablet because she's home right now. And uh, I think it's maybe doing a quick, I don't know. It's like, Two and a half pages, four pages. Yeah, sure. But uh, yeah, that that that's that's Kyle in St. Louis in the middle '90s, growing up with a Honda Civic with subs, and
4: uh, it's uncanny. Civic Nation, baby. Thank you, (laughs) yes. Kyle, what were you bumping on those subs? We got to know. What were you listening to?
0: It's in the book, Patrick. (laughs) I mean, it's a little bit in the book, but what I didn't get into was like, you know, I was listening to a lot, like I was listening to a lot of Compton's Most Wanted music to drive by. I was listening to a lot of, I mean, I was listening to almost exclusively rap music, but it was rap music that was like really strangely curated, you know, like in Missouri, we were we were sort of in that realm of like, there were the two coasts and we kind of had this, this beautiful zone of like not having to pick a side in the fight between the two (laughs) coasts and just kind of like sampling from both of them. But yeah, you know, I mean, there was, there was a lot of kind of, I I had a real hieroglyphic strain and that sort of like backpacker rap. Um, But I also had a a real kind of like Tupac CMW early ice cube. Like I listened to the predator a lot. Yeah. But then also like early albums by the coup, that first Fujis album. Uh, Yeah, man, there's a lot of that stuff. Hell
1: yeah. I I was listening to tribes fourth album, my homies Honda Civic. Yeah. With some subs in it. I guess um, just to finish out what I was, what I was even trying to ask. Um, yeah. That, that like mirrored my own experience so much in the Midwest of like, okay, I'm this is something I'm someone I'm growing into you know, a, a person who's yeah. making choices about who this person is going to be. And you brought up something really interesting, which was like almost being nostalgic for the time and the place, but in the moment.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That rang really true to me. And like, I think I, I now I'm going further afield and I kind of like get bummed on nostalgia in skating sometimes, Man. but also embrace it. Like, is it somehow nostalgia built into skating? What, what do you think? Like, are yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that experience of like being a nostalgic for the moment while you're living it is, is part of the sort of awareness of um, the 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 fantasy, right? Like, I mean, what nostalgia is, is a fantasy. Uh, I think skateboarding for many years was, and, and probably still is, I'm just like, I'm a little immune to it now, as probably you guys are, like skateboarding's industry is premised on the creation of a fantasy and that fantasy is basically boils down to these guys are here doing the thing that all of you guys want to do. And they're doing it in such a way that you guys never will. Right. Like that's, that was the fantasy. Like that's what EMB was. That's what, that's what love park was later. Like that's what uh, the, the New York of Eastern exposure and New York was like, those were kind of crafted as these kind of fantasy places where I, a kid from missouri could just like stare at and and long for like god what if my life was like that like god what if i was i was riding bart with shamil randall like what would that be like wouldn't that be incredible like i have the same genes we could we could kick it and ride bart together um so like so you know like that that stuff like that (laughs) that stuff went on when I was a kid and like feeling that and being aware of that just enough made me really, really kind of quite attuned to the fact that like, that's what skateboarding does. Like that's how the industry works is it creates legends. It creates mythologies. It creates fantasies, um, for kids, uh, That will be strong enough to make them rip the page out of the magazine and tape it to the wall. Like that's the goal, right? Like that's the goal of, of the industry is to convince the kid to tear the page out of the magazine and tape it to the wall. That's it. And like, that's, that's a beautiful machine. And then, you know, at some point in the book, like I felt myself doing that too. Like when I go to the premiere of the St. Losers video in St. Louis, Missouri, like I felt that that's what I was writing. I felt like what I was doing was mythologizing the moment I was in it. And so there is a, there is a key way that like that, that is all you can do. If you're writing about skateboarding, right? Like that's part one of this book is like, that's it is, is you create the let You're either like trying to destroy the legend machine or you're participating in it. And I guess by later in the book, by later in the last 10 years, like what I kind of came to peace was with was like the only way to get around from that is, is to ask questions, you know? And I I guess that's the difference is that like what nostalgia doesn't do is ask, ask questions. Nostalgia precludes questions. Nostalgia stops us from being curious. It, it's a stand-in for curiosity. It's like a plug in the machine. It's like a core. Like, like nostalgia is part of skateboarding because what, does, what skateboarding does is sell all of the product they make. Every Every quarter, every season, they order all of this product and they have to sell it. And so of course, everything they're going to do is going to be based on clearing out the warehouse so they can bring in new graphics and they can bring in new wheels and they can bring in new t-shirts like otherwise, what are you going to do? You've got no room for the new dope t-shirts like it it makes a lot of sense, but it it is also a real kind of trap as as we know, right? Like what, what nostalgia can do is blind you. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's the NXT. I'm I'm
1: nodding, I'm <laughs> nodding. Good podcast. Are just nodding. I know, you know in a footnote you um you very well stated exactly where to find your best kickflip Mike yeah. Carroll in the FTC video. Yeah. The first FTC video, like <laughs> we haven't talked much skating like directly. I'm I know. Just curious. That's my <laughs>
0: that's the fucked up thing. That's what always happens. We end up not talking about skating
1: do people have favorite kickflips yes they go to i guess i I know kyle's and he could describe it but yeah patrick
0: ronnie Krieger trilogy over that huge wall wow that's one Mm. i don't think of that's interesting that one always
2: stood out to me as as like odd because it was such like a big drop for krieger yeah
0: yeah it was that was surprising is that part of it patrick is that part of why the kickflip is so good for you or what makes that kickflip your favorite it's weird it's it's
4: a weird kickflip it's big um, the catch is perfect and everything but there's something about it, it, it it's almost like um, it stands out more than the section of him skating the mini ramp that's how weird it is it almost feels out of place and yet it works so well but I think it's also um, it's probably a combination of that it's it's novelty plus the way that it's I think it's almost edited to the beat um, if I remember correctly yeah. it's that's one of the that's one of the parts in trilogy which is uh, they didn't change the music and it actually works really, really, really well. And Ronald Craiger's the man. It's like <laughs> loyalty, you know, there is, you know, there's no loyalty and no love for loyalty in skating. And it's, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like he should be, he should be getting boxes and big checks for life. But no. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I'd say like, um, yeah, Carol as well. Pretty much any kickflip he does, like, I don't know. The best one is probably some demo in in long island like over a sawhorse or something you know like any he has the best (laughs) one um other than that maybe the Kalis one at the brooklyn banks just because it's so like crazy and boned out
0: weird that's such a weird one do you do you remember that conversation that went on about whether there was a bump there or not oh yeah 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 and someone
3: like uh freeze framed or like screenshot like the the little ripple in the yeah uh, yeah
0: so yeah it's like, and, yeah, it's a tiny bump it's, it's, and it's i texted him i'm like hey josh <laughs> is it was there a bump there he's like i don't know man i don't there is like maybe maybe a little bump but i wouldn't call it a bump yeah
2: call it a rise
0: right right
2: gators can make a lot out of a little bit of a bump i am oh, not yeah. really understand that yeah the Tem- mind bump <laughs> templeton what's your favorite kickflip I, I don't have one i mean uh i think my brain is is like kind of mush uh <laughs> From like so much skateboard content consumption, like I, I don't, yeah, I can't think of any one. Uh, I don't know whichever one you guys talk about, it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's
0: a good one. That's a good one. They're, they're all great. People, people talk about the Kerchart all white over the hydrant one, you yeah. know, at, at, you know, in the it, 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 after the, the beautiful three flip that one in LA. And I don't know, I agree with that. I think that's that's something. Um, but there's something about like that Carol one is on flat. It's not like at speed. It's not Hill aided. It's, it's not like it's been embellished by the terrain at all. You know, it's just purely a kickflip over a trash can. Um, and I think for me, that's, that's kind of what it is. In addition to, I was at that, that absolute like putty formative stage of being a young person staring and being like, that's it. That's all I want to do.
1: It's a damn good kickflip. I'm uh... I need to check one that I don't know, maybe, maybe not my number one or number two, but possibly my number three. But it always I always go back to it. I'm like, what the fuck? Kevin Bradley and Cherry over like it's a it's like a concrete railing banister, but then the the first set ends, and then there's like another little like three or four stairs, and it's filmed super tight, and he kick flips, and then he's dropping, and then he's dropping. And he's still dropping. Totally. And then he lands, and it, it it always gets me. It's it's it looks like it's a twelve foot drop.
0: That was and the one time damn. Bill's filming was great. That was, great. Wait, wait, wait. that was it. That was like that was the that was the thing that's justified the last eight years of Bill's fucking filming. He's like, well, good well kick flip, I, got, I got that kickflip right. So let's see what
4: happens. <laughs> you get a pass. Wait, 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 Kyle. What do you think is the appeal
0: of kevin bradley why is he such a cult hero well i mean he doesn't skate and that that (laughs) goes that goes that goes a long way right that like and i mean this this is actually a really good kind of maybe point about the era we're living in like the coolest thing in the world about gino was not that he skated it was that he only skated so much you know, there was only so much geno footage. Um, and that's really hard to put off to pull off now. But what like Kevin Bradley gets right is like if he does these other things in between skating, like shots at tequila all the time, or like having this puppy that grows into this mammoth dog, or like you know, being like an extremely sharp, like young man, uh You know, when he does skate, it's like it's like a treat. It's like Christmas, Um, and so I think that's it. You know, I mean, and and then on top of that, like Gino, he's really good at skating. Like Kevin Bradley is really good at skating. That back tail he did at the Oakland courthouse, like that's that is. Uh, uh, that is an unfathomable trick like to go there and look at that is to stand in complete awe over what the human body can do so you know i mean he's he's got a lot going for him um and not least of all is that he like he really enjoys life and living and so when he skates it's like damn this is cool you're you're now doing the thing i want you to do
1: yeah that makes me think that like skating's inextricable from the rest of the life if you're like doing it right
0: Mm Hmm. It should be. I mean, ideally it should be. I mean, the last thing we want are people to just be skating. You know, if people are just skating, that's where we end up, where we are today, which is like, everyone's good and everyone's the same. And we're just like bathing in the, the, you know, the endless kind of flow of their clips. Like that's, I don't think that's ideal and I don't know how long that'll keep on. Like, I'm curious to see how long that ends up being, how people share footage like at some point like i always have this joke about like what if marathoners just decided to all walk the first 20 miles like what if we just walked the first 20 and then we really ran hard for the last 6.2 like wouldn't wouldn't that be a better way to do this like i think at a certain point it might be the case that skateboarding writ large like decides Hey, maybe we shouldn't just flood the market constantly with our bullshit. Like maybe we should curate a little bit what we're sharing with people, like go back a little bit. I don't know. We'll see. That'd stoke me up. Yeah. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah. I'd be stoked to see uh, a little less,
2: which brings us to the end of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on. Kyle as our honored guest. What are you stoked on this week?
0: Um, I'm, I'm, I first of all I'm I'm stoked to be here this has been super fun. I hope that uh, I hope that we've talked about enough skating for your listeners to f- still feel like it's a skating podcast. But more than that what I'm stoked on is uh I'm stoked on being home. Like uh I've been I was gone I guess 12 of the last 14 days um And so I'm really happy to be back with my wife, with our very old small dog, with our very big young dog. And to go out today and skate around the neighborhood, like that was, that was really, really satisfying for me. I I ran into a kind of Chicago legend as he was on his way into the bookstore. That was exceptional. I guess in terms of just skating, like, man, I'm just, I'm stoked on Nick Matthews. Like, I just want to say it. I'm stoked on Chicago's one of Chicago's maybe three finest Nick Matthews who I hope, I hope is going to find his way onto a a board sponsor and other sponsors that treat him right. Because that kid is just, I mean, he's just the best. He's just the best. Indeed. Uh, Mike Munzee, what are you stoked on?
1: I'm definitely stoked on Nick Matthews. I honestly think, and it's, it's some dumb bullshit to be like, he's the best in the Midwest right now, but he actually is. He's as good as it gets um so what else am i stoked on i'm stoked that tonight after dinner my kid spontaneously said hey i want to go ride my bike without training wheels which is a major (laughs) development um it's going to be a it's going to be a process we spent some time in the alley and um like she's ultra stubborn and that worked against her learning how to ride her bike tonight without training wheels but we're going to do it and then um I'm also stoked on a New Yorker story by Ben Taub, how a Syrian war criminal and double agent disappeared in Europe. One of those crazy, I don't know, it's a spy story, but it's also um, a peek at how the world works at certain levels that I guess I wasn't all that aware of or thinking of that often. Like, I guess the Austrian domestic spying service is just a clusterfuck. That was very interesting. I think it got dissolved. So. Yeah, stoked on reading that story. Uh, Jason, what are you stoked on?
3: Stoked on uh, a little hard goods company out of San Francisco, California called Venture Trucks. <laughs> stoked on... Oh, yeah, St. Louis guy, Brad Johnson. He's uh, started a YouTube channel for all his footage from San Francisco in the mid-'90s. I didn't know it at the time, but he filmed a lot of oh. the San Francisco footage in your favorite videos, like Trilogy, et cetera. So stoked on that and what's to come on that youtube channel also stoked on the premiere of the series bmf on stars this weekend about the black mafia family gang uh organization whatever you want to call it big fan of 50 cents career as a television mogul even more so than his career as a rapper yeah big fan of power all that stuff so yeah shout out him stoked on that this weekend uh patrick what
4: are you stoked on this weekend now you got me thinking about 50 cent when he first burst onto the international scene and you know that vitamin water era when he was just getting vitamin. money yeah
3: yeah he made, made a shit ton of money on the vitamin water dude Hell he,
4: so. he hadn't even really like blown up blown up like off top you're making like how much did he make 100 mil i don't know dude it was a lot it was <laughs> a lot of money <laughs> Shout out to Blowing Money Fast. I'm stoked on Spitfire Wheels, of course, Um, if I remember correctly. Today is the 30th anniversary of Primal Scream's landmark album, Screamadelica, which is probably tied for the best album of 1991. The other one being (laughs) Loveless by Mudd Bloody Valentine, also on Creation Records. (laughs) What about uh, what about Ned's Atomic
3: Dustbin? Where was the Ned's Atomic Dustbin? On oh
0: that? shit, Godfather? <laughs> I think it was 90.
4: That, I could be wrong. I, was, I, I have that on CD. It's, it's held me up surprisingly
3: I well. Every, I think everyone does, just for that one fucking song.
4: <laughs>
3: it was like, hey,
4: we're going to have a
0: band with two bass 19, players. 1991, April 1st. Wow. Are you serious? Man, no, dude, that album rules. Wait, <laughs> wait, wait. So you're telling me.
4: <laughs> in addition to like all like the big mainstream albums that came out, like Nevermind and Blood Sugar Sex Magic and uh, whichever really great R.E.M. album came out that year. Was it uh, Out of Time? <laughs> you also had Ned's Atomic Dustbin in 1991? Damn. Big time. Big year. It was big. Oh, yeah. PM Dawn. PM Dawn. Um, actually, yeah. I'm stoked on PM Dawn. Shit. Um, I'm still on <laughs> Homies Network. They got this new video presented by Quarter Snacks and Vans. Uh, Cole's and Kyoto, which is, oh, my God. So good. Um, Caravan Skateboards, who finally have some product out. Um, they're based in LA now, but I think they're originally from Chicago. And finally, I'm very stoked because um, I got a fresh new Yankees snapback, and it's an all timers, new era joint. Uh, I'm very, very, very excited for that. For all you Mets fans, there's also a Mets version, so cop while you can. Oh, Come yeah, in. there you go. <laughs> yeah, <Whoa>. yo. yo. <laughs> go
3: Let's fucking
2: go Yeah, you, you better move, baby. <laughs> me, what are you stoked on this week? Uh, I'm stoked on getting a creative director credit in a video at work. A uh, creative director seems like a pretty cool job where, like, you don't really have to do anything. You just kind of have some <laughs> ideas and, like, to, you know, tell other people to do stuff. And uh, that seems pretty rad. So hopefully uh, this can lead to more creative direction work. Vibes. Or not, or, yeah, vibes. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> So uh, <laughs> thanks. That's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out mostly skateboarding.net for links to things that we talked about and other show notes. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Jason, where can the people find you?
3: On the Twitter at Carbonite1994, on the Instagram at Frozen Carbonite, and writing stuff for quartersnacks.com. Should have something up uh, within the next couple of weeks. So there you go. Patrick, where can the people find
4: you? Y'all can find me on Twitter at Colonel K Speaks or on Instagram or on Clubhouse at PKGongo. Uh, Mike, where can the people find you on the Bob Digital Internet?
1: It's got the same handle on both Instagram and Twitter. M, oh, at M.
4: Munzenrider.
1: Excuse me. Kyle, where are you on the Internet?
0: Oh, man. I I named my book after my Instagram and Twitter handles, which is the most fun thing. The most fun thing. Yeah, man. Templeton. (laughs) I'm going to stand it. I'm going to do my Kyle impression. Oh, shit, man. I thought Templeton started. Templeton, where can we find you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Mostly Skate and on Instagram at Mostly
2: Skateboarding. Uh, No books yet. Uh, See you guys next week. (laughs) Be safe, though.
1: Damn, I never got to do my Kyle impression. I was scrambling <laughs> mentally.
0: Oh uh, man, sorry, sorry for <laughs> dropping the ball. I really, truly. Really... <laughs> no, it's uh, wait. all good. Jason, I wanted to tell you they're hiring a TM right now for venture. I saw that. Yo, <laughs> yeah, I need to, the work to work it's on my, red. Person
4: to work
3: my red. red. Everybody's like, Jason, how's <laughs> <can't laughs> you <found laughs> your <laughs> job? We found <laughs> people you a job. And
5: people up bit. When <laughs> you yeah, I'm going to weekend all up. I'm on my red mane. It's not that you want to, but you have to Don't be your mark, cause niggas might laugh you Straight off the motherfucking block They do a busters, so they asses get clocked Gee, who gives a fuck about another Only got love for my fucking gang brothers Gee, but I'm young, so nobody would wonder That the hood would take me younger Always striping, you to feel like my nuts, and I'm a little bit vulgar and putting it work, I have to do my fucking part, I'm down for the hood, and it's planted in the heart, fool at school, slapping on the girls' asses, fuck the white education, so I skip a lot of classes, cause ain't no teaching a nigga, white reality, teach me the motherfucking gang mentality, pop, 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 drops the sucker, if he's from another hood, I got to shoot the motherfucker, in at the